0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Smile, and joining me today
1: is... Brendan Rorison and in today's episode of Time Extend we're getting to a topic that almost goes back as far as that the Time Extend lore can go, Adam. We're, we're finally doubling back to the, the lost episode in some ways. It's time to talk about some Nintendo Racers.
0: It's funny, when we decided that we were going to do an episode on Nintendo Racers uh, like, recently, like, you know, within the last week or two, I was trying to dig through and find that first recording we did. And, and basically, like, when we were, like, recording demo episodes for Time Extend, um, we one of the topics that we did in one of those demo episodes was uh, Nintendo Racers. I think we focused mostly on N64 Racers. And I think only, like, half the podcast survived. It's on some Dropbox somewhere. Uh, I, I dug through to try and find it. Apparently, originally, the name of the show was uh, was Time Attack. Oh, man. Which I <laughs> didn't even remember. So, um, so yeah, that was pretty funny. But we're, we're finally coming back around to it. Two years later, I think almost three years later, I, I've lost track of time. And I'm excited because I, I feel like this topic really speaks to the point of this show, which is talking about things related to racing games that don't really get much attention and i feel like what could be more central to that than like racing games as they relate to nintendo platforms because nintendo really doesn't have much interest in them and the developers that make racing games for nintendo platforms usually have no competition so they're very quickly released and then
1: forgotten by everyone (laughs) yeah no that's definitely true i think um I think anybody's owned a nintendo platform and at one point or another said oh man i wish this had like x racing game on it or i wish nintendo would have a go at making a, a proper racing game outside of like f-zero or mario kart it's an interesting topic because it's definitely a genre that is not associated with this line of consoles and portables at all but even despite that there are some really nice games in here and they, they deserve to be called out
0: Right, and because Nintendo always kind of had that different sort of uh, mission statement compared to, like, Sony and Sega and Microsoft, the racing games that those systems would get were often different as well. You usually didn't get quite the same multi-platform racing game on GameCube or N64, for example, as on other systems. And, you know, you got a couple you know, need for speed games sometimes made the jump across and they're pretty similar. But for the most part, you, you get these weird one-offs and and today we're gonna talk about a couple of them. Um and, and, and it also kind of works out, and especially this is true of the first game that, that we're going to chat about, Brendan, that like in a lot of cases, these systems were so big that they couldn't afford not to make a racing game for it, right? It's like I guess with yeah. the Switch, like, the Switch is a very popular system, but it's it's not, like, as all-encompassing, like, every single person you know has one like the Game Boy Advance was, right? So it's like, if there's a market to be capitalized on, and it's, like, the early 2000s, and you're talking about the Game Boy Advance, like, why wouldn't you just try and make some kind <laughs> of game with a car in it if no one else is doing that?
1: Exactly, and as we get through the games that are chosen, I've specifically chosen an example from that G- Game Boy Advance that we're talking about, it's just one of these things where there are going to be people who will take a punt on these types of games as well, and you mentioned the Switch isn't quite at the same level as the, the higher selling Nintendo consoles yet, and it can't be a coincidence that as it gets there, we see more racing games come into the system as well, so it's clearly one of these genres that starts to kick in a bit later in the, the console life cycle, although in the, the GBA's case and one of the the examples i talk about today well while i talk about my main example um, i'm actually launched with the console but generally speaking these nintendo racing games it's a few years into the life cycle so it looks like the switch is also going to be following that same routine
0: yeah and of course they still have to give us a new f-zero they owe us that nintendo knows it
1: so i suppose we should get out the way that we won't be talking about like F-Zero today because there are so many other places that have covered those games it's like the Need for Speed Underground thing all over again
0: <laughs> Depending on what time allows we might talk about Nintendo like a, a Nintendo racer that actually was developed by Nintendo but the conversation's mostly going to centre around games that uh, have a notable life on Nintendo platforms that weren't necessarily developed by them because those sure. are games that, that aren't talked about as much right?
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing. It's Nintendo get their plaudits and many, many forms for the stuff they do, um, but it, sometimes it's good to just pay respects to the the third-party developers that actually make racing games work on these platforms, because in a lot of cases. Either those hardware blockers or odd controller blockers to work around and that type of thing. So yeah, it's, this is definitely a, a time-extended take on Nintendo Racers. We're not really going to spend a lot of time on your Mario Karts or F-Zeros here.
0: Right, so with all that preamble out of the way, uh, you, we've set up the first game that you're going to talk about uh, pretty well because this series, I growing up, I never really took stock of how many people love this series and and i played some of these games but i didn't play them to the degree that other people did but they're very fondly remembered today so so what you got
1: so for today's uh starter game i've went down the route of uh choosing a game from the game boy advance as i've already said and the series i've chosen is one that has um it's always impressed me even when i was young like these are titles this series always impressed me just in terms of the the sheer playability from the type of scroller racer that it was there was no free like kind of primitive 3d graphics or anything like that bog standard pixel based racing game and that the series is uh, gt advance as developed by mto the yokohama based video game developer and the interesting thing about gt advance is that there were three main titles on the on the Game Boy Advance, um, the second one primarily focused on rally and was totally different to the original. But GT Advance Three is generally considered to be the strongest of the games, so that's the one I'm going to focus on. That's GT Advance Three Pro Championship, and sorry, Pro Concept Racing. And like you say, Adam, like a lot of people like these games, and for me the reason that is is because the the actual gameplay itself is one of the smoothest racing games you'll find on GBA. And not only that, but it's got a very familiar career structure to work through um, that almost seems inspired by the early Gran Turismo games, in the sense that you're starting in the beginner class, you're working your way up, uh, you get the chance to kind of buy modified cars, that type of thing, and in general there's just that kind of easy progression that you can see. And for a handheld at that time, in 2002 when this released. It was actually a fairly weighty game. There was also like time trial competitions you could do. Um, the, the car list itself, there were over 90 cars in total. Um, some of those would be modified versions of existing cars. And even in terms of the career, I think it was like something like 50 events that you could work through. And the game had a full save feature which some GBA games unfortunately didn't have. So you could always just kind of turn the game off and go back to it. But the reason that GT Advance 3 stands out to me the most is because the GBA was a console that I primarily loved for the Pokemon games like a lot of people, but when it came to racing games I wasn't really expecting that much. But this game really surprised me with how in-depth the the handling was in an arcade sense because the, the drifting mechanics are very easy to pick up, as would have to be for a, a games console that has two face buttons. And once you learn how to kind of drive properly, it's just such a, a great thrill to drive in this game, and I think that's why it is so well regarded. It isn't a GBA technical showcase, the, the soundtrack isn't particularly memorable, but it's just a very solid racer for a console that probably should have had one this fully featured.
0: Yeah, so I, when I think about GT Advance, and I actually totally forgot about that rally game that was uh, GT <laughs> Advance 2, because I was thinking I played 2, but I actually played the one that you're talking about, GT Advance 3. Um, and when I think about that game, I just remember as a kid, I was underwhelmed by the fact that this was sort of a Mode 7, um, you know, sprite based racer with kind of yeah. a flat, flat plane approach to things. Uh, but. It had a lot of content, and that was very exciting to me. I mean, this game had, you know, maybe not quite Gran Turismo 1 levels of content, but it it wasn't that far off. You had a lot of cars. Uh, You had a a large number of tracks because it's easy enough to design the tracks when they're all flat, you know? So there was a a vast number of tracks. Uh, You could upgrade the cars, and if I remember correctly, there were some pretty comprehensive upgrade options, too. There were, and there were yeah. lots of events. There was, um, you know, the option to race at night. Uh, there was the option to race at sunset or whatever whatever weather condition or time of day you wanted. These were remarkably robust games. And I think they're, uh, I think MTO deserves a lot of credit for having the ambition to do that on the GBA. I mean, obviously, later on in the GBA's life cycle, kind of from like, 2003 on which which is around the time that this game came out however this was building off of the earlier foundation of the first gt advance but from about the midpoint of the gba's lifespan on you'd see more and more 3d polygonal racers uh and as the discussion relates to those games uh god i i cannot remember i watched this incredible video that somebody threw my way about like uh, the various 3D engines um, that were developed for GBA games and, and racing games in particular. I will link to that in uh, when we publish this episode. Apologies, I can't remember it now. But I also know that Casey has done uh, great episodes about. Um, I think she she looked at one of the Need for Speed Underground games uh, or Most Wanted or something like that on the GBA. Yeah. So so later on you'd see these like really kind of intense uh for the time 3d games on Game Boy, but like before that what you had was like gt advance and i think a lot of people that were kind of looking for that sort of gran turismo style experience on a <laughs> on a gameboy advance as ridiculous as that might sound <laughs> uh they gravitated towards the series and it was it was yeah. good for that purpose
1: no for sure and especially as a youngster with a Game Boy advance for some reason you do want to crave that Gran smoke experience on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's just something that you're keen to kind of try and experience and the thing about GT Advance is even technically fidelity wise not very impressive, but frame rate wise it's a solid 60 and mm. it sounds silly for a Game Boy Advance, but just having that smooth gameplay makes the game feel so great because compared to other racers that feel a bit sluggish or bit slow. This was a very fast flowing experience and one of the the weird kind of things about it that always stood out to me was like in the menus you've got the typical crappy like very compressed audio um, like soundtrack in the background. But when you go into races it uses the game like basically the Game Boy colour <laughs> like sound chip for the, <laughs> the tracks that play. It's this weird like it's just so strange when you're seeing like a Game Boy Advance game clearly, but the sound chip that they're using for the audio is definitely just a Game Boy Color, like the, the tunes So, that we so play is on that, that
0: is that for both the car audio, like the engine sounds, and the
1: music? Just the music, the uh-huh. the car audio and the three, two, one, go at the start are all like Game Boy Advance. But as soon as the the kind of songs kick in, it's that Game Boy Color sound chip, and it's very. Very wow. weird, and it must have been an intentional decision, because I can't... This, this game isn't pushing the GBA to its like max capacity, unless getting it to run at that 60 was really difficult, so right. it's a weird choice.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if it has to do with the fact that it can't stream compressed audio from more than one source, you know? So it relies oh, on the sound chip for the music, but it relies on the whatever, you know, MP3-like compression for the engine sounds. That—that's my only guess, but I don't know. I've—I've I've never made music on a Game Boy, so I don't
1: know how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely—it's one of those—it's one of the parts of the game that's always stood out to me because I don't think I realised at the time it was definitely like Game Boy Color music tracks that were playing. But I remember them sounding so distinctive, and then when I went back to play it over the past week, I was like, well why? Why is that? Like, it's such a strange choice." And it's weird because the rest of the package is very standard for a racing game, like the the career progression is fun but familiar, the car list is great but there aren't many kind of um, easter egg cars for example, there are a few I'll talk about in a second, but everything else about the game just feels very kind of concentrated, like a normal GBA racer and then there's just this random decision to like use Game Boy Color music and it's um. It works that the tracks are catchy but it's definitely a weird experience to hear it and i wonder how reviewers at the time felt about it
0: well on the topic of the soundtrack real quick uh, i wanted to mention gt cube because um, uh, around the time that this game came out the same year mto developed a racing game for the gamecube uh, and and it's funny how you know gt advance was on the gba gt cube was on the GameCube. Uh, it, it's an interesting game because uh, it never came out outside Japan, uh, from what I understand. It certainly didn't come out in North America. And it kind of goes for the auto modelista approach of, uh, of cell shading, but it looks way uglier like it it's like cell shading but without any of the artistic direction that auto modelisa or like jet set radio or any any good cell shading game you've ever seen (laughs) has uh but what's really cool about it is i mean it handles okay it's actually not a bad game and and what's really cool about it is the music is a lot of the same in terms of how songs are written there are a lot of the same tunes as in gt advance but they take advantage of, you know, the GameCube's greater That's audio cute. capabilities. So so imagine full band versions or, you know, <laughs> fully produced versions of some of the songs that you're hearing in GT Advance. Like, uh, I'll never forget, there's this... The one song that I love from GT Advance, because you spend a lot of time in, like, the car select and the tuning menus in this game, is that there's a song that plays when you're, like, going through the dealership, right? and uh and it's this unforgettable tune and i played i only played gt cube for the first time like a month ago and uh i know this right off the bat that all the menus looked exactly the same they kind of had that sort of the r4 kind of color gold to them they had the really bold text they had the black lines all over the place just like on the game boy game so i was thinking like they really did carry over the motif (laughs) when they made gt cube and i went into the dealership screen and i heard that song again i was like this is fantastic like this is a, a cover, you know, a different take on the song that I, I remember from my childhood. So, um, yeah, it is kind of funny how that happened. And, and I imagine that there was actually some kind of weird sort of, I, I assume there's some level of asset sharing between those games in as much as, uh, you know, I, I think the car models in GT Advance always struck me as being pretty good for the time. You know, they're, they're, all, they're all sprite based, but yeah. they're, they're very good looking sprite based car models uh, and I feel like they kind of just took the GT Cube models and they just took pictures of them, you know? And then just put them in the Game Boy game.
1: Yeah, definitely. The the sprite work is, is pretty decent enough. It's not anything to write home about, um, obviously, compared to other GBA racers at the time. It would have paled, or rather, to come shortly after, it would have paled to the 3D modeling that was come a bit later, but... It does the job pretty nicely, and just while we're on the topic of the cars, I mean, this car list is pretty great. You've got your usual kind of Honda NSXs, and Integra, um, the Daihatsu Midget gets in there as well, which is great. But then there's a few, like, funny choices, or rather odd choices that always stood out to me, especially when you get to unlock them. So, there are a few Easter Egg cars, like I was talking about earlier. There's, like, a wireframe car, I guess showing you how the sprites are made or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, There's a go-kart. But the weirdest one that always stands out to me was the... (laughs) There was, like, a Chevrolet NASCAR in the game, but it was a radio-controlled version of that car, if I recall. Like, it was, like, specifically supposed to be a toy car version of a NASCAR. I
0: don't know if I ever discovered
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. I think, like, you got that after you basically 100% of the game, effectively. But it's, like... It's a, it's a Chevrolet NASCAR, but it's got an aerial on top of the car, and the sound effects of the car are also high-pitched. So that always just stood out to me because it was such a weird, like, this is the only car that you can drive in radio control mode and the, the actual full one isn't even in the game elsewhere.
0: That is really funny. Um, I remember it for being the game that introduced me to the uh, Nissan Sil 80 for the first time, you know, oh, yeah. the the one yeah. that's the 180 SX in the back and then the Silvia in the front. I never knew what that car was uh, until I played <laughs> that game. I, w- I was really little, but as I got older, um, I think maybe I was playing GT4 or GT5 or something like that and I saw it and I was thinking like, oh yeah, I remember that car from GT Advance because it has a really weird name. Uh, and it's just a very strange idea for a car to basically combine two halves of different cars into one. Um, but yeah, GT Advance definitely has that feel of a game that has sort of an inspired uh, car roster by people who really had a love for that era of Japanese cars. I mean, obviously, Japanese development team, um, but you know, you-, you have like the Daihatsu midget in there. You have some really kind of quirky cars. There's a lot of K cars, uh, but there's a lot of faster ones too. I think there are tuned versions of like the NSX and tuned versions of like, you know, Civic Type R and stuff like that. So it's you know it's got a good assortment for uh, for a GBA racer for sure. And and it isn't much. It isn't very coincidental. I feel like that it just kind of. In that way, like the car roster, I feel like overlaps with like all the Modelisas really closely. Uh, it, it just almost kind of feels like all the Modelisa, but for the Game Boy Advance.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, one last car, I suppose, to call out on the car list that featured the Nissan Neals concept, which was like this weird oh, yeah. fucking toy pickup truck that Nissan made as a concept, and the interior of this. Please Google it if you're listening. It is absolutely horrendous looking.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I've ever seen the interior of the Nissan Nails. I'll have to look this up.
1: Uh, It's certainly something.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) That steering wheel is the even the steering wheel. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, go take a look at that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's just another in this car list. Like, most of it is very standard, like Gran Turismo slash Aldo, but at least a fodder. You've even got, like, the wagons in there as well, like the Nissan Stagia and the Subaru Legacy wagon. But there's, yeah, there's a, a few strange inclusions and it's great to see them in there because it just gives it that bit more character and... Um, I think, like many people, outside of what cars you would see in real life, I pretty much used Gran Turismo as my encyclopedia of what cars exist. So whenever you found out about another one, it was like, wait, what? Isn't yeah, this car be? was in
0: Gran Turismo? Yeah. <laughs> had that moment so many times over the years.
1: So, yeah, I don't want to take up the full pod talking about GT Advance, but to, to summarise from my perspective, um, definitely one of the more iconic Nintendo racers because it showed that you could get a kind of realistic Gran Turismo-like experience on the console. It had its little quirks that made it memorable, and then, crucially it handled incredibly well too, because as we talked about just before the pod, um, I was kind of stuck between this and uh, Top Gear GT Championship, which was a title I got with my Game Boy Advance at launch, and I loved GT, uh, sorry, Top Gear GT Championship for all the Super GT content, and the as hell intro once again worth looking up Um, but the actual driving itself was almost as if it was doing that thing where we're going to pretend to be a simulator in some capacity so it's just going to be very hard to play our game and it just doesn't have the same playability as GT Advance and even going back now trying to play it a bit more intricately than what my younger self would do it's just not as fun as GT Advance GT Advance hits that nice sweet spot and I think that's why for me this is the this is the one of the prime racing games on the console, alongside uh, the Sega Rally port on GB, which was surprisingly good.
0: It's also a, a good example of why you know I, I can't stand it when people say like, oh, the Switch doesn't deserve a good racing game because it it doesn't have um uh, doesn't have triggers or it doesn't have analog triggers or it doesn't have you know a good D-pad or I mean it has an analog stick but the analog stick is too small for some people or whatever. Um, you know, MTO was able to make a, a really fun racing game on the Game Boy Advance, which has two really clicky buttons and a really tiny D-pad. You know, you can make <laughs> a good racing game on anything if you if you try hard enough yeah. and if you try to tailor the physics and the experience to whatever your input method is. Uh, and I really wish we kind of saw that ambition more from, from developers today, but that's that's obviously not the case
1: yeah for sure i mean when i was playing it the past week or so um i was playing it on my fucking xbox elite controller <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> it still held up so like well i was shocked at how fun it was still to play like the nuance and the the drifting and the, the the handling of the cars was great so um yeah if i was if you've got a gba kicking around pick up gt advance 3 sega rally and v rally 3 funnily enough V-Rally 3, purely for the technical spect- the mm. technical spectacle that game is. It's wild how good that game is for a GBA yep. game.
0: I, I've heard... I've never played the port of V-Rally 3, um, but I've heard that it's uh, it's pretty amazing in terms of what they're able to do with it. It's wild. Um, <laughs> I always like the Top Gear Rally. Uh, I, I wouldn't even call it a port because it's totally different and developed by a different team, but the uh, Top Gear Rally release on GBA was incredible. It was... Um, the, the graphics were almost on par with those of the Sega Rally Southern Port, <laughs> and the game handled really well. <laughs> it, it feels even like physically, you know, it's not as smooth as Sega Rally, but it, it definitely kind of has a Sega Rally sort of weightiness to the handling. The frame rate could be higher, but but even so, like it was a really it was oh, a wow. really fun game for the GBA. Yeah,
1: that looks fantastic. I've just had a look there and. Yeah, that, that looks as if it's quite a spectacle as well. And this, this is one of the reasons why the GBA was always like the sleeper console for me, in the sense that when I had it, I didn't think it was that great. But like, I got a GBA Micro like five years after the GBA had been discontinued, and I just loved the little fucking thing, man. See, like that perfect quality screen and the back lighting and just the form factor. It was such a great little console to have with so many of these. Like kind of niche fun racing games. They're not going to blow you away, but it was just a a nice selection of titles. And GT advance Free for me kind of epitepithalizes what they were going for on the console at its best.
0: Yeah, I'll always regret not picking up a GBA Micro at some point in the last, you know, fifteen years. They're so
1: expensive now as well. Oh yeah, I I
0: <laughs> haven't I have an SP, but it's like. It's in such dire shape. Yeah, it's it's awful. the light behind so the screen type
1: <laughs> thing, isn't it? It's doing. Whereas like, the micro was just like Nintendo flexing their their muscle in sense, like, well, let's make a perfect little device. Like th- the real backlit screen just makes an insane difference. I know some people on um, eBay are making like hacked SPs with those types of screen in them, and I guess that would also be an option if you can't find a micro at a decent price.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely jealous
1: but yeah, i think so. for me that's um that, that's that's my choice for today's pod i just wanted to highlight some of the, the gba type racers but adam i think you've been wanting to talk about this game for quite all oh, these games for quite some time so i'm kind of excited to to hear you explain to us why they're so important on nintendo consoles.
0: So, so I've been wanting to talk about this particular game for three years. <laughs> and uh, it's a game that the people who who have played it, I think, rate it appropriately and rate it highly. But the people who haven't played it would write it off as some sort of like bad promotional tie-in because of the nature of the title and the nature of the game. Uh, and that would be none other than the N64 Classic Beetle Adventure Racing. Uh if you have never seen anything about this game before, you, you, you might again assume that it's like some kind of cheesy tie-in because the new Beetle came out in I think '98. Um, Electronic Arts published this, turns around uh, in early '99 with this game as exclusive to the N64. Uh, was developed by Paradigm Entertainment, which made Wing 64. Uh, and they also worked on the F1 World Grand Prix port for the N64. So they were a they were a good studio at the time in terms of knowing what to do with the very strange N64 hardware that I'm I'm sure you know some developers could not really figure out. Uh, the last game they ever made uh, and I did not know this uh, until recently was Stuntman Ignition, which uh, which was a fun little game I remember from the late aughts.
1: Oh yeah, yeah forgot about that one (laughs) yeah
0: i feel like some ignition was kind of like the um a stepping stone on the way to like uh wheelman and then eventually driver san francisco which people love and i still need to play i know you're a huge proponent of that game
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yes for sure (laughs) yeah
0: so what's really interesting about Venture racing is that um this may have been obvious to some people at the time definitely wasn't obvious to me because i was a really little kid when i played this game but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this game started life as a Need for Speed title specifically for the N64. Uh, and, and particularly if you look into the debug menu, which is accessible if you have like a, a Game Shark or something like that, uh, Need for Speed and you know the Need for Speed logo and, and Need for Speed branding is kind of in various places throughout it. So it's very clear to see that EA was like, you know we're having so much success with these nfs games on playstation and pc and we want to bring something like that to the n64 because the n64 never got a E for speed game uh and then at some point i don't know how it happened but beetle adventure racing uh ended up being kind of what that what that was melded into uh and i've seen a lot of uh a lot of talk that this game uses a modified version of what would have been the then current Need for Speed engine, which would have been whatever was used on, say, uh, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 3 or High Stakes. I haven't seen any proof of this, but the game does kind of handle like a Need for Speed game from that era, so you could pretty much just use common sense and, and suggest. I don't think it's, it's uh, you know, stretching too far to say that this game... Uh, was definitely derived from Need for Speed. Um, so you kind of have that Need for Speed backbone, right? But this game does so many interesting things that deviate, uh, even though it uses that engine, that it, it ends up in practice feeling and driving and playing nothing like a Need for Speed game. Um, you, you only have the one car. You have the uh, the Volkswagen New Beetle. Uh, so it does kind of have that Porsche Challenge thing going on. But there are a couple different versions of Beetles. You have your uh, your Beetle with sort of like the, the rear wing and sort of the wide body kit. You have your Beetle with the lightning ball on the side. You have your Beetle with the the eight ball kind of Herbie look to it. Like they, they were pretty playful, uh, which again, I feel like is a reason why this game may have been overlooked by quote unquote serious gamers because it was just kind of cute and over the top and silly. Um, but they approached it in a really in a really good way so um right now i'll I'll take a break before i just continue talking for the next 20 minutes and ask (laughs) uh, have you ever played this game brendan
1: Nah, not at all i think i've said in previous podcasts um i was not a, a nintendo 64 kid sadly um so it's one of those consoles where i've not even bothered emulating it because i do want to get the actual console itself with with beetle adventure racing and all the other games people write home about to experience it myself so unfortunately in the sense of back and forth conversation i won't be able to add much but i think the good thing for you is that you can just go off on one and explain (laughs) why it isn't just a cash grab tie-in because when i looked up as well the best kind of thing I can bring to the table for this conversation is that it was rebranded in Australia. Yes,
0: yeah, so so that's something I wasn't even aware of until until yeah. a couple of years ago, but in Australia, they turned this into HSV adventure racing, which is very funny.
1: Um, yeah, it's like you're taking a, a cute little European... Bubbly hatchback and replacing it with an absolutely brutal, Australian, like almost sports car level of speed. What I
0: what I love about it too is that this game was very clearly like you look at the goofy font they use and you listen to the goofy music and everything. And we're gonna talk about the tracks. The tracks are absurd. They're like theme parks. Nothing about the HSV mission statement, you know, is gonna is gonna fit very nicely into a game made about the Volkswagen Beetle, like the funkiest, silliest car <laughs> of like the late 90s. Like it it totally yeah. clashes. But that said, this game is so good that I don't even think it matters. And, and one thing that's actually very funny is that when they put HSVs in the game, I I have not played HSV Adventure Racing, but I actually want to um, throw it into an emulator or something and see the differences between it and Beetle Adventure Racing. Because what I've heard is that HSV Adventure Racing is faster because the cars are faster. So they felt the need to have them hit much higher top speeds than the Beetles in Beetle Adventure Racing, which seems like it would make the game very difficult because uh, as, as I'm about to talk about, this is not an easy game. Uh, it gets I think the difficulty scales in a very natural way, but halfway through, midway through, it gets really tough. Um because this game is uh is about more than racing. So Wait, so
1: that's sorry. the original two hundred CC mode then. <laughs> the HSB yeah. racing. Yeah. Yeah,
0: you can make the <laughs> argument, you just had to go all the way to Australia to get it. Uh and, and had you know you need to you need to have an n64 that could play an australian cartridge
1: would <laughs> um, <laughs> but like i said i don't have much to, to add here so i want you to win me over on why i should actually want to play this game and for some people it might be the same situation but i know it's pretty popular
0: it is so good it is so good <laughs> and 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 you know me like i'm not uh, I'm not really one for kart racers. I'm not really one for kind of like sort of cute, silly racers. I know you're a big fan of like uh, Churro Q and, and some oh, games God, like that. Yeah. I know you were playing the, the Ridge Racer mode in Go Vacation. I don't really <laughs> fuck with any of that stuff. Yeah, um, it's just not It's just not my thing. Uh, But this game, I think what I love about Beale Adventure Racing is it takes advantage of the fact that it's on Nintendo console to be a little bit goofier, um, a little bit more over the top. And it's really silly and cute, but in a very understated way, in kind of the way that like a Pixar movie is, you know, it doesn't like... Like, one of the good Pixar movies. Like, it doesn't bash you over the head with, like, being too colorful and over the top and putting you off and making stupid jokes. Like, there are all these little touches in kind of the way that the game sounds and moves and plays that are just really charming. Uh, And and for me, that starts with the tracks. So, you get uh, six tracks in this game, which I think for, for the late 90s is... It's not the biggest number in the world, but when you play this game and you consider how large these tracks are, these are seriously big tracks. Um, It takes anywhere from two minutes to two and a half minutes to finish the lap. And in that lap, you have a variety of shortcuts and these shortcuts have verticality to them you know you could uh, the the one that I think is my favorite because I just remember every single nook and cranny about it is the uh, Mount Mayhem track which takes place you know in this very snowy arctic environment and you can kind of you find sort of a path that launches you up into the inside of like an ice cave and you, can, and you can come out the top of the ice cave and just fall you know very many tens of feet down onto the track surface uh, there's a a uh, bridge that's kind of broken in the middle at one point on this track, and you launch yourself over it. Um, there are just so many like uh, just picturesque, memorable moments uh, on all of these tracks, and you know you can you can play this game. I think for you uh, do I want to say years, but I think it takes you a while to really figure out how to get through these tracks in the most efficient way. Uh, where all the shortcuts are because it's you know it's kind of like one of the one of the things I really love about some of the old knee for speed games too uh, which makes a lot of sense is that not all of the alternate paths are faster you know some some yeah. might be faster but only if you link them up in a certain way with other paths if you if you go out of your way to go for every deviated path from the from the established one from the main one you'll actually be losing time so you have to be smart about it Uh... The other thing that really plays to the exploration element of these tracks in the game is that there is a points uh, kind of system to these pickups in the world. Basically, strewn about the track are these various crates. And there's a couple different kinds of crates. There's a nitrous crate. When you hit it, you go really fast. You know, it's a a boost of speed. Uh, But there are also these points crates. And these points crates have values of like 5, 10, 15 and when you collect these points you basically uh, accrue these points and they turn into continues so and this game gets very hard so what you actually want to do is you want to collect as many of these boxes the points through these boxes as possible um and they're always in the same place on the map but like i said because of all the alternate paths are kind of hard to find and if you accrue a certain number of them which is dictated kind of by the level of difficulty you're playing at, you will earn a continue. Uh, So it it definitely it rewards you for exploring but of course there's also a race to win so it's kind of like that that push and pull like i want to see everything this track has to offer i want to find all of these crates because it'll help me in the championship but also i need to win the race because you know at the same time there is a regular championship style progression where you know 10 points for first place eight points for second place and so on so you have to balance how much you want to focus on winning and focus on exploring and um for me, anyway, that makes the gameplay much more rewarding.
1: The gamification of the, the race while it's being played is something that I've always loved in games, so that's something I can get behind. I and mean, when you're mixing that with exploration as well. When I looked up uh, footage of the game, the first thing that really struck me was how vast all the tracks look, which is saying something from, like circuit-based racing. You don't usually get that. But, like, this game on this hardware... I would have not have expected it to look that grandiose in scale. Maybe that sounds like I'm over exaggerating it, but I was just imagining like very typical kind of Choro Q type tracks where it's all very confined and it's fun, but like you know what you're getting into as far as track design goes. This game really surprised me in that regard.
0: This is exactly the kind of game that that as a kid just dazzles you with like just the need to explore and just the excitement to see what the next track offers. Because it got so hard at the end that when I was a kid, I, I don't know if I ever made it past Metro Madness. I don't know if I ever saw the last track. Um, but it was always so exciting to make it to the next one because you never knew what you were going to find. And one of the most interesting things about the track design in this game is that uh, it. the best way I can describe it is that the tracks kind of utilize, you know how on rallycross uh, circuits the kind of starting point is never a part of the lapped portion of the track. So you kind of start on like kind of a leg outside the track, and then you, yeah, and then you meander into the track. So this game basically does that, except that rallycross style like leg is like two miles long. So like the the starting portion of the track is. Lengthy and completely different from any other part of the track you will encounter as you lap it and they do the same thing for the ending so You might memorize uh, As you're going through championships over and over again, you might memorize how the lap portion runs, but The start and end will be very unfamiliar to you uh, And that just is I think a great um, a great idea Oh, There's just there's a huge thunderstorm coming in where I am Yeah, so to that point, there's actually a quote from uh, EA senior producer on this game, uh, Hanno Lemke, who produced a number of NFS titles over the years. And he says that the designers wanted to borrow the exploration element that made platform and adventure games fun in the past because, uh, you know, in in a platformer, you, you don't end a level in the same place as you start one. And uh, I think that's a a beautifully simplistic idea into making these worlds feel more uh, grandiose by by having a start point and end point completely separate from each other.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a mantra you wouldn't see anywhere else in racing games that I can think aside from kind of typical point-to-point rally racing. So it it is a, a case of once again with this game. Leave your expectations at the door, because it's something totally different than the, the kind of brand-named game would suggest.
0: Yeah, yeah, so there's also a lot of um, really kind of uh, aspects of the game that are sort of secrets, the things you can uh, unlock, and as you're playing through the game, are sort of... Uh, Uh, unexpected little little tidbits that you come across Um, there are cheat boxes in addition to the regular the points boxes the nitrous boxes uh, unlocking things that are kind of like goofy little modifications I don't really necessarily give you any sort of performance advantage uh, but just kind of mess with the game Um, there is excuse me there is a battle mode uh, like a kind of a Mario Kart style battle mode that that plays, uh, it, it's pretty fun. You basically have to collect these multi-colored beetles around the track, um, like actual beetles we're talking now. Uh, drive around these sort of arenas and collect them, but you also have weapons that you can fire at each other. And um, yeah. but but to really uh, kind of drive the point home on just how charming this game is, um, it handles like like for example, like you know the. You can uh, hit a wall or something in this game. If if you hit it hard enough, your car will just explode. Um, if you you know if you if you hit a nitrous box and you drive into a wall, I mean your car is definitely going to explode. But the way that your car explodes in this game is unlike any other game I've ever seen before. And it basically, it's like um, you know you, you you drive into a wall. There's maybe this like puff of fire and smoke, but really it's just all of the various panels of the beetle like the trunk lid and the doors and the lights and the bumper just explode out. And not in like a gory fiery way, but just in just <laughs> like a like you press a button and they all expand, you know? And it's it's <laughs> just Obviously. very very cute and and doesn't really um you know, even though the, the the idea of a car exploding seems kind of violent, it works for this game. And I love how uh, the water factors into many of these levels, especially one of them is, is on an island. There's also lava uh, on that island, too, because you're driving through a volcano. And when you uh, drive into water in this game, instead of your beetle slowly kind of sinking down and eventually being submerged... Basically, your beetle, the the car touches sort of the surface of the water, disappears, and then you just hear like a bloop, like just a, <laughs> just a, a very quick like water drop sound, a yeah. very very small like kind of splash animation, and it just I I just feel like they they got the tone of this game so perfect, uh, and 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 it I can sort of liken it to another one of my favorite uh not strictly N64 racers because it was multi-platform, though I played on the N64, uh, Hot Wheels Turbo Racing, which yeah. was, uh, you know, pre overtop in the Hot Wheels way, but also had a really amazing soundtrack and and just kind of struck that good balance between, like, sort of 90s edginess and also being cute, and it just worked in both of those lanes. And that's, that's exactly what Beale Adventure Racing did.
1: It just looks so fun from the gameplay. It is making me want to go back and revisit it and experience what it offered because it looks as if it's aged okay as well. It doesn't look as if it's one of these games that was very much of the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's aged super well. It looks very good for an N64 game. Um, I don't even know if it used the expansion pack, but it, it, looks, it looks very good. Um, it, it very much looks like uh, like high stakes or something like that. If they made it for the N sixty four, the handling's great. The handling is is you know it's you know because it's more of a racing game about exploration. It's not really about technique. Uh, so kind of you know almost in in the way I'd say like an early burnout game or something like that. It's more the spectacle than the experience of driving the car that that really attracts you to this game. That said, uh, the handling is very sound, very predictable, very approachable, very easy, and fun, and tossable. Um, Again, I'm really curious as to see how HSV Adventure Racing plays, because (laughs) those cars are way faster than these. Uh, And and that's the thing you really think about, like, when you're dealing with all of this stuff, when you're trying to um, collect boxes as you also win a race, like, and, and also, you know, you only have three laps to do it, so... If you try to go for a collectible or something like that, and you miss it, you only have two more chances left. And so yeah. this game, when the difficulty ramps up and the AI ramps up, like it can be pretty difficult. Like it can be it can be really legitimately challenging. And so if you're gonna then, uh, you know, add speed to the cars, you know, if you're gonna if if you're gonna add a couple. You know, if, you're, if you're talking about 100 mile per hour top speed or something like that, now it becomes like 150. I could see how this game gets gets out of hand.
1: I just want to see Volkswagen Beetle versus HSV Adventure Race. They, they really missed an, they, they <laughs> yeah, exactly. miss
0: an opportunity there. They absolutely missed an opportunity.
1: That could be the the long-awaited sequel.
0: One of the things uh, I, I skipped over that I, I wanted to mention is that one of the, the coolest cutest things about this game is one of the last things you unlock is a police beetle and when you're driving the police beetle you can sound the siren and when you sound the siren all of the ai cars pull over (laughs) which i just i just love that like it's totally a joke it's not like something that once you get to that point in the game you've beaten the game so it doesn't matter right it's it's something that obviously you only get 15 seconds of enjoyment out of but it's so great
1: That is, that's one of the the better unlockable, uh, for an unlockable in a racing game, usually it's just a car that looks a bit different, but it's pretty cool how they put in a a funny cheat as well, basically.
0: Right. Yeah, and and the soundtrack is fantastic. Um, You had a couple uh, artists uh, that were kind of like accomplished sort of like breakbeat electronica artists at the time, Uh, Phil Western being one of them, uh, who I think worked with a, a great... Uh, number of, of uh, many influential artists just in music not even just in games uh, of the style and uh, they all kind of worked on the soundtrack that is um, it's very 90s but it's it's kind of like a sort of like a lighter more fun take on like a DJ shadow or something like that it just yeah. it complements the tone of the game really well. it's very funky it's it's very memorable um a lot of samples that they use actually from sort of like funk and rock from like the 70s and 80s uh in there all on n64 audio hardware which is which is very impressive i'm always i'm always more impressed when i come across a good n64 soundtrack than on other (laughs) systems just because of the limitations that the n64 had
1: so if you had to if you could have won like nintendo 64 remaster would this be the game or is there is there other contenders for you
0: Hands down, this, uh, hands down, because this is, um, I think this is my favorite. I go back and forth as to whether or not this is my favorite N64 racing game. It's usually either this or Wave Race 64, but this is definitely my favorite N64 racing game with actual cars in it. Um, nothing is this polished, nothing comes this close. I mean, there are other good N64 racers with cars in them that we, we won't talk about today. Um, Like, Multi-Racing Championship, I think, is very good. World Driver Championship is pretty good. Uh, Top Gear Overdrive. But, like, they all have that kind of butt, you know, element to them. (laughs) They're all very good, but something about them is a little bit annoying. And this game doesn't have that at all. It is just... It is perfect. Uh, It never sort of feels worse for being on the N64 in the way that a lot of the racing games did at the time. And uh, apparently there was a... A sequel in development uh, sometime in 2000, but they, they canceled it. I came across this uh, when I saw a link to a, a, a one of the designers on the game uh, put in their resume. Uh, so apparently they, they were working on a sequel and then they canned it, and, and who knows why that was. But um, I, I would really love a remaster of this, and it's the type of thing that they... All you gotta get is that Volkswagen license, you know? And, yeah. and put the new Beetle in there. I mean, look, I, Volkswagen isn't making the Beetle anymore, and they sure as hell aren't making this generation of Beetle. But I feel like they play ball, because this game is so beloved by the people who played it. Uh, it really has grown to have this legend, and uh, and it's totally deserved. And if you've never tried it before, and and Brendan, you know, I'm speaking to you as well, <laughs> definitely yeah. definitely go grab a ROM if you have to, because it's totally worth it.
1: I'm just blown away, like I said, from everything you've said here, and even the gameplay, just how this hasn't came up on my radar before we started to time Extent, Like, it's just like you're saying when it comes to asking for a remaster, those other racing games are great but there's probably other games similar to them that do what they're trying to do but better nowadays just as technology's moved on. But like... I can't think of many racing games I've seen that look like this and have the kind of core gameplay loop that it has and all the nice little touches, and it's even got a license to Volkswagen in it as well. So, um, yeah, let's let's get it. the remaster for Switch HSV versus Beetle Adventure Racing. <laughs> That would be excellent.
0: It's very funny because, of course, you know, as we talk about these old games, I'm coming across quotes from uh, from IGN and GameSpot and, and the like from back in the 90s. And uh, IGN reviewed this. Uh, per Schneider, who now runs all of IGN, reviewed this. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's a, he's a very accomplished, very well-known, very respected reviewer. But I'm not a big fan of his take uh, in, in his review where he basically says that, Um, the game would have been so much better if you were driving Ferraris and Porsches around than if you were just driving a new Beetle, which like (sighs) you know, that's an understandable 90s take, but that's not what this game (laughs) is about. This game is about being amazingly deep in spite of its cuteness, but also the cuteness kind of like playing really well against that.
1: Yeah, I mean a good comparison point is the, the Porsche Boxster. Game, for example, like that's a very more kind of serious approach to that single manufacturer model game. And this just like it's a bit of Volkswagen Beetle, man. Like, this is what this is what I can see anyway. It seems to make it work. It's just so funny seeing this little Beetle take on ridiculous, like curved half pipes in the snow and stuff on these tracks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's it's really a blast. It's it is one of the best racing games, I think, of of the generation, of the decade. I, I think it it belongs in the conversation of best arcade racer ever. Uh, you know. Not just in terms of the things it does well, but also the fact that no one else has done this. Like, there were some racing games, I talk about Hot Wheels Turbo Racing, that kind of tried to to fold in the collectibles as you're driving. Uh, yeah. but none really match the the sheer level design the just unbridled sort of focus on just fun and discovery uh, of a racing game that they, they they executed that perfectly here and and so I think it's it's high time for a remaster to say the least
1: I mean you could even like, in the remaster, just make it like Need for Speed to Run, <laughs> and make it mm. every stage like an incremental order. Because looking at the level design and stuff, like I could just imagine like one singular playthrough of this game where you just have like conjoining roads like Outrun. I think that'd be yeah. incredible fun.
0: you just imagine like an epic like, you know, you have the same number of tracks, maybe a couple more, and it just becomes this three-hour odyssey to just get through <laughs> them all. And yeah, yeah, that w- that would be a good time. I, I think I think it really. The problem is that there's just not enough there's not enough volume out there in terms of people asking for this, obviously. But I think if there was, this game would be more in line for a remaster than like any old Need for Speed, just because it's it's its own thing and it's easy enough to execute. And I think it would probably like uh, it would find a more receptive audience in this era of really quirky sort of indie titles that don't take themselves as seriously. Uh, I think that was kind of missing from the N64 at the time, which is why, uh, you know, N64 being maybe a little bit more childish, but I think a racing game of this nature was not something that was very common back then, so I think it would really find a good home today.
1: I don't even think it's very common now, to be honest, so get on the switch.
0: Uh, so yeah, that, that covers Beale Venture racing and, and I think we're gonna call it there both because um, we're trying to do a, a slightly more compact show this week uh, and also because there is this torrential downpour thunderstorm uh, as we're recording right now that I, I know is just gonna cut the power in about like two minutes. So um, I think this is a good place to end it for now. and we'll, we'll definitely come <laughs> back to this topic because there's so many other racing games that we want to talk about on, on Nintendo platforms
1: yeah i was gonna say like a part two definitely makes sense we even know of a specific guest as well that would like to filter into this topic so perhaps uh mother nature is just allowing us to to have this second episode because i know you really want to talk about the next game and now i think about it just having these discussions there's another nintendo racer that i would quite like to talk about as well so it makes sense to to do a part two at some point but um once again though, it's just good to get back to what what makes time extend tick, these types of discussion. I love all the new racing games, I do. But ultimately, like getting hyped over a Beatle Adventure Racing uh, crossover with HSV Adventure Racing, I mean that that's what it's all about. <laughs> the
0: the original Marvel versus Capcom of uh,
1: <laughs> Exactly. Of the I wanna see like a mock up cover for that now, just in the same style as those games. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best.
0: Yeah. So, um, so thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you know, as always, um, you know, you can find us on Twitter, uh, at time underscore extend. We have a Twitch now at time extend. Uh, I don't think there's an at on Twitch, right? That's just force of habit, but we, we, we need to use it more. We need to, we need to take advantage of that more.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we had that time extend live like pilot demo episode, which was great fun, um, on racing game intros. Just need to think of other topics that work well in that live environment perhaps perhaps that's the future for free practice for example so people mm-hmm. asking questions on the fly.
0: it's possible yeah and uh you know with project cars 3 on the horizon with dirt on the horizon all of these racing games i'm sure we'll have a place to uh we, we can use as a place to stream those and uh, have a nice little hangout with uh, with the community and stuff so you you guys you guys make all of this tick you're giving us so many ideas for cool stuff we can do so uh thank you as always
1: yeah keep the ideas coming as well we're always amazed when somebody manages to bring up something that we haven't even referenced in passing (laughs) like a totally (laughs) new subject and it's like we didn't even think of that add it to the list
0: (laughs) right all right so so thanks again everyone and we will see you again soon
1: thanks for listening guys